Welcome to the White Bikini. My name is Marie White, and today is Tuesday, September 27th, 2022. Joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Banton. How are you, Nicholas? I'm doing well, Marie. It's good to be with you once again. We've had a little bit of a post-summer, summer hiatus, but we're back together now. Yeah, back at the old grindstone. Big grindstone. <laughs> A lot happened since we last recorded, and in my mind, of course, is the passing of Queen Elizabeth. Very significant. I didn't know she was sick, or maybe they were hiding how ill she was, but even at 96, her passing passing felt very sudden. Yes, I was away at the time, and I remember reading the headlines in the morning. The Queen was not feeling well. And by that afternoon, the queen had passed. So I'm inclined to agree with you that there was some understanding that she was very sick. And I don't know if it's a security issue or what have you, but they chose to remain mum. My feeling is when she, when the royal palace did send out that press announcement that she had already passed. I believe that's typically the way it was. Um, or at least that's where I think things occurred. But there she was... did her due diligence, 70 years on the throne. God bless her. It was a remarkable reign, 70 years. I don't think anyone, and we will not see it again in our lifetime. I don't believe so. I I hate to say it, but I just watching King Charles perform his duties, he just looks older than his age. What's his actual age? I mean, if we oh, want to get he's... into that right now. No, no, he's no. Well, let, no. What what we're going to discuss today is King Charles III. God save the king. All right, let's get into it. Prince Charles is seventy four years old, so he's not a young man. Oh wow. Okay, so he really does. Okay, I take it back. I, for some reason, I thought he was a younger man, but no, he looks every bit those seven decades. <laughs> I don't mean that disparagingly. Uh, I'm just saying I've. For whatever reason, I had the impression that he was younger, perhaps 10 years younger. I don't know why I thought that. Maybe it's because I have this image of he and Princess Diana, you know, being at different places in their lives. And so that's kind of the indelible impression that I have of him. But if that's if that's in fact as old as he is, as uh, you stated, then, you know, he's an older man. So, yeah, he, um, he does then look age appropriate. I wanted to go over some fun facts. First, as we just discussed, King Charles, which is so weird to say, he is the oldest person in British history to be named monarch, which is concerning because I do think 70 something is very mature to be taking over the throne at a time there's so many, when the queen took over, it was a complicated time. And I guess every generation, just like us, we feel that our times are more complicated. So that's probably not a fair statement. I think it's true. But, you know, you had the situation where the Queen was living through Blitzkrieg and World War II. And I think that's a uniquely different circumstance. The British people were fighting for their very existence, if I remember my history correctly. So, I, I you know, I, I think with any 
situation or any historic event, you can do comparisons and contrasts. So I think, you know, I think it's, re I think what you're saying is reasonable. Unlike Queen Elizabeth II or any other heir to the throne before King Charles, he was not homeschooled. He became the first heir apparent to attend school and he broke royal tradition by going straight to university after the A-levels rather than join the Royal Armed Services. He attended University of Cambridge and became the first heir to the throne to get a university degree. Did not know that. That is actually kind of fascinating. I, I, I know that Prince Philip had a very difficult childhood. And the more I learned about him, I just assumed that he did have a college degree, but neither him or Queen Elizabeth II did, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, I think one of the discussions that orbit any mentioning of the royal family has to do with the modernization of the monarchy. And so I think that's, that is an interesting, and I think that's uh, instructive of... The changes that are taking place, I, I think they're they're glacial by what people in progressive society would want to see in terms of modernization of the monarchy, but that's a step. He is a qualified armed forces pilot. He can fly a chipmunk basic pilot trainer, a Harrier TMK fighter, a jet provost jet pilot trainer, a Nimrod maritime patrol aircraft, a F-4 Phantom II fighter jet, an Avro Vulcan jet bomber, and a Spitfire classic World War II fighter. I didn't know that either. No, and from what I do know of those jets in passing, those are frontline fighters, certainly of, you know, vintage era. But at the time, I think he was doing his Air Force training those were frontline fighters. The Harrier was a very important aircraft in British air defense. Uh, the F-4 Phantom was a frontline fighter. It was one of the most important fighters during the Vietnam War. So, wow, you go Prince Charles. Hey, it's King Charles III now. I you. apologize, your Royal <laughs> Highness, of course. He also built a town by the name of Poundbury at Dorchester in England. He has a high level of interest in urban planning and development and wanted the town to be a blend of traditional architecture and modern urban planning. Wow. I really had this man wrong. I just saw him as a sort of a stiff, uninteresting person that broke Diana's heart. But wow, you're really opening my eyes. There's definitely more depth and substance to him in terms of his character and his interests and his skills. That's really quite interesting. I remember when Poundbury was being built and it still is an active town. I, I feel like this was the mid to late 90s and I was much younger and I thought, that's kind of stupid. But now <laughs> it's not because we live outside Philadelphia, we live in a suburb. And we often talk about uh, a hometown that we used, we frequent that is 
kind of does not have that hometown feeling anymore. No, I'd agree with that. And I thought I kind of, I grew up and, you know, we grew up in a different era, not generations apart, but I remember getting in the car, going with my mom, going to the local butcher, going to the local Acme, the bank was on the corner. There wasn't a lot of running around. Everything was very close. Agreed. Now that time has passed and I don't have that experience in my life, I would sometimes get it where I work at my part-time job, but that's evaporated. And now 30 years later, I have an appreciation for that community feeling, which I think he was trying to reestablish. And I think that's something that most people would profess. If you ask the average person living in a neighborhood, they would all say that they want those qualities. So, you know, that's a, I think that's an indication of some forward thinking on King Charles's um, behalf. What do you think? I agree. And I'm going to do a little more research on Poundbury. It's coming back out again since he has taken over as the, as the heir. I just, I'm curious where it stands now, but even then I thought this is kind of strange. But again, he was thinking forward thinking, organic farming, table to farm, everything. He was so many decades ahead of his time. 100% agree. I was definitely wrong on certain aspects of his, uh, as I said, I've repeated a couple times now, I'm just, I was wrong. Um, this man is far more interesting than I thought he initially was. He was the first heir to the throne to get a divorce. He divorced, sadly, as we know, Lady Diana Spencer in 1996. Mm -hmm. A year later, she tragically died in a car accident in Paris, and he married Camilla Parker Bowles in 2005. Yeah, I don't know about you, but my memory of that was, it, it was almost, you know, I, I think for most of us, 9-11 was a profound moment living in the United States, but, the passing of Princess Diana was a, a similar feeling that something really bad had just happened in the world, something sad, something profound. We had lost some, someone very important. That was my memory of it. How about you? I agree. Diana died in 97. I watched her funeral. I was heartbroken. JFK Jr. passed away two years later, so I feel that they were very two bright lights of my generation that were quickly, that I felt like the sparkle, and I still feel this way. There's something different about the world since they've both been gone. They were very charismatic people. I agree. I think they were both attractive, charming, interesting, intriguing people. And in some ways, especially with the humanitarian work that Lady Diana performed all over the world. I think the world is a worse place for her loss, for her passing. Agreed. She went out there for AIDS patients, leprosy. She met with Mother Teresa. She did so many important things. And I try not to judge Charles. It's, it's been 25 years since her passing. As I've matured, I understand the layers of life that can happen to people and people make rash decisions that they might not have made given a couple more minutes in their life. And now I understand that I, I don't want his legacy to be, fine, be defined as being a bad husband to Diana. I don't think that's fair. I'd agree. 
Um, I just, I think one of the reasons why, you know, I as a person of color, a black man, was so impressed by Diana was the images of Diana holding AIDS infants and babies in South Africa. And this was still a time, you said 25 years ago, but this was still a time when people were scared to death that AIDS was something that was communicated through the air or transmitted through drinking fountains. Um, you know, and of course with the racial dynamic, it was, it was important. It was important for the world to see a princess, a British princess holding a sick young African child. And I think what that did in terms of raising money and raising awareness and just also raising compassion, human compassion, that we're all human beings, even if uh, some of us, our skin color is a little bit darker than others. That was really, really important. The optics of Princess Diana doing what she did and countless other charitable um, ventures, they were absolutely important in terms of the, the gradual shifting the gradual movement of people to become more compassionate to the less fortunate and she leaned into it as we say in a, in this age you know leaning into the challenge and leaning into the, the discomfort and leaning into the ugliness that sometimes is characteristic of human existence and the, the some of the last photographs of her is when she is wearing the mask in the landmines yes yes was this um sarajevo I believe the, so, okay. and that's my bad. I should know exactly where it was, but I was kind of really more focused on Charles, but just that image of her walking through the landmines, which I'm sure they were not thrilled about, but she really put herself out there. And that's important because, you know, one of the things that, the reason I think she did it, and the reason I think you and I are talking about it is that, let's face it, some lives are valued more than others. And so for, person in her position to risk uh, life and limb to raise awareness of the tragedies around the world absolutely significant but as you said this discussion ultimately is about uh, Prince and now King Charles I could talk about Diana forever I'm sure we will in a future podcast I, I think I think we owe it to our listeners Charles is also excuse me King Charles III is also an accomplished painter. Reports state that he mainly creates watercolor landscapes, but since 1997, sales of his artwork have generated nearly 300 million, excuse me, three million dollars in US dollars. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And I'm sure even if some of those are pity purchases, that's still a lot of money. If I had the money, I would buy a painting from Prince Charles. I Well, I'm sure those paintings that are now, um, now that he is King Charles, I, I think it's like any other rare vintage product that the value I'm sure has increased. He's an avid gardener and he's reputed to talk to his plants. He is an advocate of organic farming, is opposed to GM foods. And his company, Dutchie Originals, distributes foods and goods produced ethically and has made them millions of dollars. And everyone laughed at him in the mid to late 90s 
I remember when the Duchy of Cornwall started and the Duchy Originals. He was again 30 years ahead of his time. You know what? I have no recollection of that brand. Tell me a little bit more about it. It's def it's a brand you can buy it online and it is organic and I believe it was the first organic line that you you know I guess I'm trying to think now when did Whole Foods really become part of our neighborhood what year do you think it was I was thinking along those lines I think of Whole Foods reaching their peak their zenith towards the mid to light mid to late 1990s that's I think when Whole Foods was the king of the hill but when does the whole when did the Whole Foods in our area when did it first go up the small corner one I I couldn't tell you I, I want to say 1990s. It took some time uh, to differentiate itself from other small boutique style supermarkets. But I think that the Whole Foods you're thinking of, the, you, particularly the one in Wynwood, the small, tiny neighborhood looking store, that's a product of the 1990s. I don't know exactly when, but you know, from talking to some of the people locally who work there, I want to say that store went up early 1990s and certainly by the mid to late 1990s that that store was one of the most profitable stores i believe in the company per square foot in terms of revenue generated it was remarkable so as you said i think uh king charles was really onto something a need in the market that he anticipated 25 30 years ago and i remember when the bigger whole foods in the area opened up I started to miss the small one because you went in kind of getting back to that feeling of community. You would go in and you kind of always had the same cashier. There was people you recognize and as things got bigger, when you go to Whole Foods now or Trader Joe's, do you really see any of the same people over and over again? You never do anymore. If you see their face, you don't know them. So I know exactly what you're referencing. And I think it's just kind of, it's the paradox of capitalism. Capitalism is the same energy that creates a Whole Foods in the first place, but it's also the need, the constant need for growth, year over year revenue increases that creates these bloated monstrosities that eventually collapse under their own inefficiency. So it's, it's unfortunate, but you know, going back to the neighborhood planning and the anticipation about organic foods, it's it's really incredible i never thought i'd ever use the words but king charles was is in fact a renaissance man man who anticipated the future a man who lived values that are now cherished as you know the ideal way of living that's a really interesting thing and i never thought i just thought he was this weird stuffy man that as i said broke diana's heart but it's it's interesting to have this conversation with you that he brings so much more to the table he is also very fond of the works of William Shakespeare and is known to often quote Shakespeare. At the end of his first address to the nation, he said, and this is one of my favorite quotes, may flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. Is that Hamlet, if I'm not mistaken? Look at you, Nick. Did you go to Lower Marine High School? I did, in fact, go to Lower Marine High School. It's actually, it's a great quote. It's, it's beautiful, it's beautiful words. And the, the day of Queen Elizabeth's funeral, the royal palace posted a photo of her in, the, in Scotland with a huge cane where my favorite era of the queen is the early 70s to mid 70s and she's wearing a scarf. 
And that's the quote that they used. And I was absolutely blown away by the image. And I know that Charles had something to do with it as I started focusing you know, on the podcast. Just watching it from overseas. So I'm watching it from Portugal at the time and just having viewing that kind of history through the lens of other Europeans was really interesting and how much attention it garnered. It was everywhere on every channel and correspondents from all over the world were paying respects to the late queen and discussing the transition of the new king. It was it was interesting. You know, that's something that I think we would I would experience through the lens of being an American here in America, but it's really an important event certainly in European history and world history. Nick, are you ready for Eagles football cuz I am? You better believe it. I am ready for some Eagles football. It's football season, and here outside of Philadelphia, our favorite chant is Fly Eagles Fly. I believe they're 3-0. and 3-0 and to start the year. Excellent start so far. Jalen Hurts looking sharp. So when you're ready to watch the football game, please stop by the Springfield Ale House, Delco, on game day for wings and beer. Also coming soon, it did start today, is Taco Tuesday. So they're going to have tacos and margaritas, which Kelly the chef is the best cook and best drink maker in Delaware County. I can attest to that. Yes, we both can. We've been very blessed to have many (laughs) meals. Address is 773 West Sprawl Road, Springfield, Delaware County. Phone number, if you'd like to talk in person, is 484-472-6742. And please follow Springfield Alehouse Delco on Instagram and Facebook. Now that we understand that Charles is a Renaissance man, he brings a lot of... I think he has a fuller vision of the world than his mother did. No disrespect to the queen, but she married very young. And I don't think she had the same exposure to the world that Charles did. Agreed, 100%. It was a different era. It was a different generation. So I think some of that is going to bring, not immediately, but some very intense changes to the monarchy in the next five years. I would agree with that. And Unfortunately, I don't mean to sound morbid, but as you said, Charles is no spring chicken. And I think he realizes that his time on the stage will not parallel that of his mother. So if he wants to make his mark, he is limited. He he will not have 70 years to impact royal tradition. So let me ask you this. Uh, I I know we have certain things that we want to discuss, but what are your thoughts about the relationship between King Charles, uh, Harry, Meghan, and and the kids? What's the dynamic there? What's your reading of it? My honest reading is... I feel that Harry impulsively married Meghan. I believe fully that Harry and Meghan both have childhood trauma that initially bonded them together, but I think that trauma in time is going to tear them apart because she does not have a close relationship with her family where I think she's manifesting those emotions onto Harry and trying to get him away. 
and what's the end game or how do you think this will all play out because i i don't want to believe that she hit she is nefarious i don't think this is a plot to abscond with the heir to the throne i think what you're saying does make sense i think she is perhaps doing this out of an emotional need um but how does this all play out with a new king i do believe that Charles is wise enough now to not act impulsively because Harry is supposed to be dropping his biography in the next few months, if not the next month. So there has been a rumor that he is going to hold off with the biography, but I'm not sure that that's still accurate because it's a constantly fluid situation. And I'm sure he does, doesn't always have nice things to say, not about the queen or Prince Philip, but more about Charles. So I'm not sure how the King of England's son could be writing a biography about him. I think it's poor taste in Harry's part and Meghan's part. I think they just need to pause and do take you, a step back. Do you think Harry was influenced by Meghan to write this book? I mean, is listen, I mean, I, I assume and I, my understanding is that they're essentially cut off from the royal purse, right? So they need money. They're cut off from the royal purse, but they're not cut off from King Charles's purse. Oh, I expound on that. What, what's well, going on? Charles does have his own money that some of it is through the Duchy. I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I know that Charles does have some private money. So I do believe he is helping Harry, and no matter how angry a parent gets at a child, they're never going to not help. At one time, my understanding was initially when they moved to California, because in their defense, they moved in January of 2020. So I'm curious what would have happened if they did not move and were forced to shelter in place in England. So my understanding is he gave the members $2 million. Well, that's a pretty generous, good luck, son, um, move. Granted, you know, I'm sure they, you know, when they moved to LA, they were, that that was probably the down payment on the house. So, you know, it's about sustaining the lifestyle that they want to lead. I just, I agree with you. I, I'm not anti-Harry and I'm definitely not anti-Megan. I really don't know much about her. I, I think... There's a certain level of misogyny and uh, I, I'd have to say a certain amount of racism that's directed towards her. And, I'm sure, you know, she's divorced and all that nonsense. But I, I just want to my inclination is you're right. I think you're right. I think there are two young people that didn't think it through. And perhaps there was a, a place to negotiate with the royal family. I don't know. I don't know if the queen just kind of put her foot down and said, this is, it's our way or the highway, and they chose the highway? I don't know. Well, but the, I think it's complicated because, you know, Prince Harry at one time was second in line to the throne. Yes, I do recall that. So it's hard, I'm sure it's hard to be Harry. You are in second line, heir to the throne. Your mother is tragically killed in a car accident. Or murdered or some, imagine in a car accident the last thing he said to his mother was can i get off the phone ouch, ouch they ouch. both were they were young i mean what yeah. were they 11 we all could have yeah. said that to our mothers she called them at balmoral 
She wanted to just chat and they're like, Mom, we're playing. Can we talk tomorrow? And hung up really quickly on her. No, that that would definitely leave a major hole in your heart. Especially especially in that kind of environment where they're not expected to express their feelings and work through trauma. So I can understand how that would be really harmful to Harry if he's carrying around guilt and shame around that kind of action. And look at Harry. I mean, I loved it. He was a party boy. He had a lot of relationships. Remember he woke up drunk in like Vegas? It's in Vegas, yeah, with the nude photos. And for a while it was kind of like, there's Harry. But now that I have a deeper understanding of myself and how I've responded to trauma and looking back at my life, I definitely think some trauma that I was experiencing did not help me make wise decisions And also, I lacked maturity. And I think that's what happened to Harry. Then before you know it, you're kind of muddling through all of that. You wake up and now Prince William's married. His friends were married. He probably did everything, I think, just kind of became a tidal wave. Okay. What you're you're saying makes a lot of sense. No, no, I I apologize for interrupting. What you're saying makes perfect sense. That I think maturity probably swept over him like like a tidal wave. Maturity and the responsibilities and how things should be and... I think he woke up, found himself in a relationship with Megan, and next thing you know, marriage two kids later, and they're moving to LA, you know, essentially asking for a separation from the royal family. All of it perhaps not fully conceived with all with an appreciation for the consequences. And I do believe that Prince Charles, excuse me, King Charles knows that. I think the Queen was from the generation of the stiff upper lip, never complain, never explain. But also what happened to Harry, I believe is so traumatic. And I still believe that William has some trauma that is softened by the view that his marriage gives of him. Not that it's accurate, Mm -hmm. but I think he has a wife that came from a very different background than Meghan. So I believe that it softened William a little, but for what they went through, I don't know how they survived as long as they did and not get into more trouble. But I think Harry woke up at this point, William probably already had two children. Yeah. Megan was, you know, they weren't that young when they got married. I mean, I guess Harry met her when he was 34, 35, Mm -hmm. because Megan's already 41 years old. Oh my goodness. So what you're basically saying is that uh, they dealt, they're both dealing with trauma, but William stayed on the plantation. I, you know, um, his wife stabilized him. Harry chose to rebel. I think we have the appearance that his wife has stabilized him. And I'm going to leave enough. that there. Fair enough. Fair enough. So here is a sticky wicket to borrow a turn of phrase from our friends across the pond. What do you make of the allegations that there is a love child, a King Charles III love child out there who's claiming he is heir to the throne Did, wasn't he born like in 1963 or something i don't know anything about it i know yeah. you are a an aficionado of all things british and royal so i thought i'd run this by you i hope i haven't insulted <laughs> insulted you by bringing this up but oh, no, I, please. I just i just i heard that i heard the rumors uh, and I was like, you know, if we're not going to discuss it in the podcast, what's the point of having a podcast? Hang on. Here we go. Love child. Oh, you're looking it up. I'm looking it up. Okay. 
I'm trying to get down to the year he was born. I'm going to say never say never. That's what it's the royals very, do, right? Yeah, it's very possible that this could have happened. My impression, he was 58, which would be old for them. Yeah, well, you know what? He's 56. So that means, and my understanding of Charles and Camilla's meeting. So if you're if you're 56, you were born in 68. Okay, mm -hmm. They did not meet from all of my reading and research until 1970. Okay, so the math doesn't add up? The math doesn't add up. If he said he was born in 1971, you know what, then I would be much more suspicious. Okay. I don't believe they knew each other by the mid to late 60s that way. By 1970, they definitely knew each other. Okay. And I don't think Camilla is sloppy. Okay. All right. I, I actually, I buy your defense. I think it's reasonable. And until there is a DNA test, I will err on, I'll err on your perspective because I think it's actually a reasonable way to look at this allegation. And moving forward, I wanted to really discuss, I think what's gonna become a top concern for Charles and its height in 1922. The British empire was the largest empire the world had ever seen covering one quarter of Earth's land and ruling more than 458 million people. With a worldwide population of just under 2 billion people, that meant at one time, one in five people living on the planet was a British subject. As a Jamaican, I can attest to that, being uh, formerly subjects of the British Empire. We gained our independence in the 1960s. However, we do retain or we retained the the queen, now the king, as the head of state. We have a parliamentary democratic system in which we're self-governed, so our prime minister is the head of government. But we still look to the queen as the head of state, um, similar to, I believe, the Bahamas, Barbados, um, New Zealand, Australia, and several other nations throughout the world. And many of the people were not thrilled with the situation because they felt that they'd become part of the empire by force to colonialism. Yes, and they, they in fact were forced to become subjects of the empire. Further still, many of those countries, some of their most precious resources were taken. You know, think of, uh, I'm thinking of the, the Star of India and there are people in India who want that gem returned to their country. So as with any empire, the mother country, the home country will extract the most valuable and precious resources for its own benefits. Britain so, for, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say lastly that, you know, one of the things that we're dealing with in the Caribbean is there is now talk that there needs to be some degree of reparations for the years of exploitation. The day after the Queen had passed, I was watching MSNBC and there was a huge blow up between one of the hosts and, you know, I'm going to say a white, a white English male that was talking about how British door countries apart, forced people into slavery, exploited natural resources, all in the name of the crown. And these things have less, left a lasting social, cultural, and financial scars, all of which are back in the national spotlight again. Yes, the way civilized society works is that we take these very difficult subjects and we sweep them under the rug until something like the passing of a monarch 
occurs and then we have those very difficult unpleasant conversations but i don't know what will come of this my suspicion is nothing will come of it because that's that's par for the course that's how history tends to work is that change is gradual until it becomes unavoidable and i don't see any forces happening in the former colonies or any force happening within the royal family that would cause the kind of change that some of the people on the outside are asking for. I, I, I'm curious, unlike Queen Elizabeth, Prince Charles can't ignore what's in front of him, and I don't think he wants to. He won't, I think, but like any other system, they'll pay proper lip service, they will say the right words, they will perform the right gestures, but in the end, the substantive changes that needs to be made, whether it's reparations or some other system of um, repair for the harms done, I don't know that it will ever come to that. Nobody, and I don't know that it's going to happen under Charles' reign. I don't think so. I, if it ever happens, <laughs> we, might, we may have to wait for a, a King Harry for something like that to happen. And who knows? It, life is funny. Charles is not a young man. And who knows? You know, for all we know, that. You know, we expect that William is going to step into their position, but who knows? Maybe things can happen, and we may wind up one day unexpectedly with a King Harry. And one thing I thought about is, I'm curious if Charles and Diana had stayed married, I wonder if the Queen would have abdicated the throne to Charles when he was younger. That's a really interesting question. I don't know. I was listening. I, I am obsessed with all things royalty. I stand guilty. I, but I was listening to a podcast on the way home and I started to think about that. I thought, you know, if they had stayed married, we would have Queen Diana and King Charles. And it made me sad. I know that sounds stupid, but... It's not. It's not. I think I think most of the world would love to see that. I think most of the world would love to see a Queen Diana. I think that's a lovely thought. I think that's when we saw that young woman doing all those wonderful things in the most difficult of circumstances in the most impoverished of nations that's who we wanted to see ascend the throne so i don't think it's i think it's perfectly reasonable and i you know she did say she would always be the queen of people's hearts and i kind of feel charles like and diana like harry and Meghan, were two people that had though it was white people trauma I think they both grew up with a lot of trauma and instead of working together, Prince Charles was very jealous of Diana and they had a lot of conflict in their marriage. And I don't think they had to, I always think if they just kind of got through a past, a few couple years later, I don't think they both would have made the decisions that perhaps, they made. Perhaps, but we don't know how long the tensions had been there. You know, there's some... There's some systems that you put stress on it and it becomes stronger. Some systems you put stress on it and it fractures and weakens. And we don't know fundamentally the character of the relationship internally, not what we see in the tabloids. If it was one that could have been healed with a little bit more time, one that would have survived the pressure. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, I think we're all lucky and fortunate to have lived in the same world at the same time as a uh, Princess Diana. And I'm wondering, I like what you said, I'm wondering if that trauma is starting to put pressure on Harry and Meghan and they're either going to get closer or they're going to buckle. I'm, I'm leaning towards they're going to get closer. I, you know, and part of it is to sound a little bit sort of pedestrian. I think they need the money. 
I think they went out there and they're like, holy moly, it's expensive to live, you know, driving Range Rovers with butlers and maids, first class flights, um, Michelin star restaurants. That stuff is really expensive. And I think they thought they could hack it. I think, I well, I don't know what they were necessarily thinking. I, I, maybe they just weren't prepared for how hard life is outside of the confines of royalty. And things got really expensive really fast into like, holy moly, you know, let's that those two million dollars that, you know, as you as you um, suggest that King Charles may have given Harry, I'm sure that went really fast. That's two million, a two million dollar house in, in L.A. is nothing. It, it's oh. it's. It's a it's a it's a row home in Kensington practically. When you um, get a chance, make sure you Google the house they're living in. Yeah, so I I don't think that it's nece- necessarily an impressive level lifestyle, and the money goes fast, and what they're spending is not what they're bringing in, and so I think they'll probably find their way back into the royal family for all those things you mentioned. But I think there's just a practical need that they want to maintain a certain lifestyle, they want to maintain a certain level of security, which is important. Um, you know, royal children get kidnapped. Look at Queen Anne um, or Prince Anne, excuse me. So I, I have a feeling that for all the reasons that I've mentioned, they will find their way closer to Charles. I'm a fan of King Charles III. I think the next few years will be interesting to see where the monarchy transitions. And I'm truly wishing him the best. I think he's a Renaissance man. I think he's brought a lot of things that 25 years ago people made fun of to the forefront, whether it be urban planning, organic gardening. I really respect him, and I do truly believe that I, when I say God save the king. God save the king. Long live Charles III. Please remember to subscribe to The White Bikini on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. And please follow us on Instagram at The White Bikini. And thank you for joining us today.